right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and figure out what other movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're doing kind of a special episode in a way. This is actually a crossover with my other podcast, Bird Road. Um, you will get into that in a minute. Before we do, just want to remind you all, uh, if you haven't yet subscribed to Piecing It Together, you can do that on pretty much any podcast app out there. You could also rate and review us on iTunes, which would be greatly appreciated. And you can follow us on social media, at PiecingPod. And, you know, while I'm at it, you should also follow Bird Road and subscribe to Bird Road. You can find Bird Road at Bird Road Podcast, or just find Bird Road on any uh, podcast app. So, uh, with that said... We're going to kind of just get right into it today. we got a really great conversation with me and returning co-host David Quinones from the Bird Road podcast, my best buddy. And uh, we're going to be talking about Sorry to Bother You, which is a movie that's already um, a little over a month old already. And normally we try to uh, stick to newer, newer releases. But this is a movie that I really wanted to cover on the show. It's actually a movie that when I first came up with piecing it together, I had it written down on my uh, to-do list. Do sorry to bother you when it comes out with Q. And so, uh, you know, we finally got to it. So uh, you still have a chance to see it too, because I think it's still in a few theaters out there. So make sure to go check it out. Um, but sorry to bother you is a movie uh, written and directed by Boots Riley. Um, you know what? I'm not going to go into my usual pre-show synopsis because actually once we get into the conversation, you'll hear that Q uh, does a really good synopsis of it because, as I said, this is a crossover with Bird Road. The full conversation was also posted as part of the Bird Road episode. So in the process, he did a really good synopsis. There's no reason to... Uh, cut that out and go over it. Let's just let him do it. How about that? So let's jump into this conversation I had with Q about Sorry to Bother You. Yeah, and that's why we're having it on Bird Road, because uh, if you are a listener of Piecing It Together and you don't know what Bird Road is... Bird Road is the other show that Jewish Dave, aka you know him as David Rosen, I suppose, um, <laughs> that uh, that 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 we have on our on our podcast network. Um, this is a politics show. I mean, it started as like sort of a general interest news commentary show, but I mean, it has dubbed, it, it, it has um, veered pretty hard into politics uh, arena, the political arena, and we're not like we're 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 steering into that skid we're not afraid of that and we want to do that um this movie was overtly political in a lot of great ways it was probably one of the best um progressive manifestos that's been put out there or, or at least uh w- with respect to um the uh, portrayal of the worker or the or the solidarity amongst workers very class conscious very um you know knowledgeable of, of 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 very like it's timely it's what i'm trying to say i guess it's sure timely. so if you haven't heard of the movie it's starring uh lakeith stanfield who you probably have, have seen on the tv show atlanta he also had the titular line in 2017's get out um he's just one of these guys that's kind of popping up a lot more and uh you're who you're gonna see a lot of in the future um and the movie is synopsized thusly in an alternate reality of present day Oakland, California telemarketer Cassius Green finds himself in a macabre universe after he discovers a magical key that leads to material glory as Green's career begins to take off his friends and co-workers organize a protest against corporate oppression Cassius soon falls under the spell of Steve Lift a cocaine snorting CEO who offers him a salary beyond his wildest dreams and the best part of the movie actually Army <laughs> Hammer playing Steve Lift is one of the a treasure for the for the uh for this year's cinema going crowd um all right Dave so how do we start this right we're going to break this movie apart and get into what it is what what it's about and uh i guess we want to get into the elements of it, right? This is a very elemental podcast. Sure. What is? Um, why don't you start us off uh, as the first, um, the first puzzle piece that that you saw in Sorry to Bother You? Sure. Well, as far as uh, this movie is concerned, I think, and actually, it's interesting that you're having me start because normally I have the guest start. But you know what? This is a crossover episode. Why not? I'll it's, go. It's ahead. a funhouse mirror. Man. Yeah, it's a funhouse mirror. Yeah, anything could happen on this episode, and I just wanted to. Uh, 
also point out before we really get started um, that I did see this movie uh, opening weekend. So it has been a little while uh, since I've seen it. So a few of the um, uh, specific scenes and things might be a little a little rusty for me. But uh, overall, I have, you know, my ideas of what I liked and didn't like about the movie. Um, but going into my first puzzle piece, um, and this one is a pretty obvious one, especially for me. My favorite writer in the world is Charlie Kaufman. And I think it's pretty obvious that Boots Riley uh, loves Charlie Kaufman's work as well. Um, there are a lot of directors who have worked with Charlie Kaufman. Well, not a lot, but a few directors that have worked with him in the past. Uh, examples are, of course, Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, and then Charlie himself. And I think all three of these, um, we could kind of bucket together as one big puzzle piece, um, which is these these kind of mind-bending films that uh, are open to so much interpretation and have so many layers upon layers. Uh, they're visually inventive, especially Michelle Gondry's uh, versions of Charlie Kaufman's scripts. Um, and, you know, one thing, as we'll get through this episode, you'll notice is that I didn't love the movie. I did like it, and I definitely respect it a lot. Um, but it, because it does a lot of really interesting things, and it's certainly trying to be something unique and, and different, um, which I absolutely appreciate. Um, but one thing about these kinds of movies, these movies that the general public would just straight up call weird, is um, one thing that's exciting about them is that they're trying things that don't always necessarily work, but it's exciting that they're trying them and they're actually uh, doing unique and interesting things. And I'm sure you probably agree with me, uh, especially like I know you're a big Michelle Gondry fan. Yeah, I'm a big Michelle Gondry fan. I even like the stuff that most people don't like. I thought that um, Green Hornet was great. Uh, oh, yeah, me too. I love the practical effects and the world building that happens in Michelle Gondry films. Um, I love the the visual styles of them. I mean, they're they're good. They're good movies. Uh, I was. We were both really young when um, when uh, Eternal Sunshine came out. Um, that's my wife's favorite movie, and it is uh, one one of probably my top three favorite movies of all time. I mean, it's such an amazing movie. I heard a actually a podcast interview um, with uh, Boots Riley, and it's funny that you bring up Charlie Kaufman as your first puzzle piece because he did say that uh, Charlie Kaufman was one. Of, understand, Boots Riley has a long history of um, you know being a sort of a creative force on the West Coast. Yeah, he's a rapper. He was involved in you know the, the entire hip hop industry out there, and he's like a favorite son of Oakland, California, and um, so he had doors open to him during the process of uh, I guess conceiving this movie and one of the people among many people who he did have conversations with about it was charlie kaufman oh, they actually cool. did talk about this movie and um the script was floating around and the story that i recall and i'm only bringing this up because um you, you mentioned charlie kaufman and um the story that i recall is that boots riley said that the script was very raw because he wasn't a screenwriter per se and it made its way around by virtue of sort of the hipness that's attached to his name. Sure. People yeah. were like, oh, that guy wrote a movie script? I want to read it. And and uh, and through this iterative process of meeting a lot of really talented people like Charlie Kaufman and the Coen brothers and, and a lot of people that he sort of bounced up against that had feedback and said, hey, I really hope you can get this made. Maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that. And so what we saw on the screen was, um, a, I believe, like a first-time screenwriter who got a lot of incredible feedback and information yes. on what had been a very raw script, and no doubt it came through in the finished product. Yeah. Well, you know, an, an interesting little side note about uh, what you were just talking about is the fact that this script was written, like, God, I think like 10 years ago or something, and it was funny, just like a week or two ago, someone on Twitter uh posted something about how uh sorry to bother you is such like an amazing or or like uh they said something about how we all thought amazing art would come out of the Donald Trump presidency um because of the yeah. fighting back and everything and Boots Riley replied man this was written 10 years ago <laughs> <You know? laughs> nothing's changed yeah. you know <laughs> no the, that, that that's true because we might as well get it out there right now as we explain that this movie is a is uh, you know this movie's all about the, the cause of solidarity solidarity and labor um, fighting against uh, you know to, to be one of the, the the masses kind of fighting against the um, 
grip of capitalism. And yes. that's what that's what the movie's really about. It's about uh, sort of people banding together. Um, it, it, it actually it touches on a lot of issues. It, it, this movie would be different if it was written right now because it would be about different things. It would like the the race angle would be different. If if this movie had been written today, um, there would be a thousand different storylines that they would change about it. This was funny enough. If he wrote this ten years ago, what he was writing about was a time during the first, um, you know, d- during during the o- Obama campaign. Yeah. When uh, I think a, a lot of people will, will remember that Barack Obama, the candidate, made a lot of promises to organize labor. And they were promises that he didn't keep. He promised to advocate for card check. He promised to advocate for better collective bargaining rights. None of that happened. It went not only not only did it not happen, it wasn't even on the agenda for the first term. And by the time the second term came around, they were so entrenched in the you know other other fights like with healthcare and with uh, you know all these sort of mini scandals that had arisen around the IRS and Fast and Furious and all this bullshit that nobody was talking about that stuff. Frankly, nobody's talking about it today except right. <laughs> except for why is it so fucking prescient? Why is it so smart? Because this movie comes out just a few months after a string of wildcat uh, strikes that hit West Virginia, Kansas, other sort of traditionally Republican states. And I think that's that's incredible. Like, yeah, a script from 10 years ago that basically stayed true to what it was, um, didn't change the, the, the plot, ended up being so relevant today. But... I think that's a really myopic and stupid thing for somebody to say to be like, oh well, you know, no kidding, no kidding that this this kind of great art is coming out of the Trump era. Yeah, like no, dude, this is not this isn't a, a Trump response. This isn't about that. This is like the characters in in it aren't that they aren't those flavors of conservative progressive. You know, it's not what you know. It doesn't comport to that explanation. Sure, absolutely. So uh, what what would your first puzzle piece be? So my first puzzle piece would actually be um, a, a very a, a movie that tonally and thematically, uh, I'm sorry, a movie that tonally and visually is completely different um, and bears no uh, no tangible similarities to this movie, but does deal with the same themes the same uh the concept of disillusionment the concept of um it professional in a professional environment the concept of <laughs> um being uh why are you laughing you think you know what I'm gonna I, say? I think I know where you're going but I want to hear you say it <laughs> no no I don't think you No, you don't you don't you probably have, you probably this is something you would never think I would get I, you know would never guess that I was okay um so although I am interested now to know what you thought I was gonna say but uh th- it, this is this next puzzle piece is something that um, puts a couple of main characters at the, at the at the center of the story who are grappling with their position and the potential of what their position could be in a corrupted system. Um, it, it's all about uh, sort of going along to getting to get along, um, kind of grinning and bearing it, even though you know what you're doing every day is is evil and part of a huge uh, horrible corporatocracy that's that's ruining life around the world. And the excuses that you tell yourself to continue to keep doing it because of the rewards that you're getting. And my puzzle piece is the movie uh, Michael Clayton. Oh, okay. That's so, good. Yeah. So I think if you recall, the George Clooney, the title, the titular character in Michael Clayton was um, a fixer, I suppose. Right. He was somebody who had this incredible talent for, uh, you know, as an investigator to work with the law firm, um, with with the the... the the firm that he was employed by to make problems go away. And through the course of the movie, I don't want to ruin Michael Clayton for you or anything like that, but if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's been fucking 11 years, but still, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, he sees another, uh, member of a much higher ranking member of the firm, um, start to break down and go through, a you know, a, a, a uh, sort of a, a mental um, a mental breakdown and that into his clear eyes because he's not you know stricken in that way that the that the other character is he starts to sort of second guess what it is he's doing and um, 
you know, again, I don't want to ruin Michael Clayton for you. But uh, that, I think, an incredible movie, by the way. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. That's like a five-star movie. It really is a great movie. And it's a movie that people liked, but not enough people saw. It got a lot of rave reviews at the time. It's just, I don't know, people love Clooney, but they just did not show up for it. I think it was maybe too subdued for the the Clooney that people were expecting at that time. Sure. Wasn't he doing like he was doing Syriana and he had just done Ocean's Twelve. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that was a, it was a different it was a very different role for him. And then also let's not ever forget the fact that George Clooney only ever plays himself. Yeah. He only ever plays George Clooney. He has zero characters. I would say maybe other than Burn After Reading would be Yeah, I was gonna say maybe Coen Brothers, another, but that's about Coen it. Coen Brothers movies, yeah. He he play, he puts on a character for for the Coen Brothers, but nobody else. <laughs> What's your next piece, Dave? Um, no, I, I think uh, I think Michael Clayton's a great one, um, and and like we were just saying, a great movie. Um, the reason I was laughing when you were first bringing it up is because of my next puzzle piece, um, which is a a much lower brow version of <laughs> of what you were like starting to set up there. Um, <laughs> okay, but it is Office Space. Um, it's the, yep. uh, certainly this movie goes into a lot of, uh, different themes that are not present in office space, but it, the jumping off point does start with the, you know, the mundanity and pointlessness of office life and just absolutely hating what you do, you know? And, uh, I, I couldn't, I think it's such a a great cult classic and a movie that I think a lot of people who get into um, like first time filmmaking like this are are probably big fans of uh, Mike Judge and his kind of work. Yeah, and it's funny because I might as well just spoil it right now. My next my next one was Idiocracy. Uh, so I have I, that on my list too. <laughs> it can it can you know again another Mike Judge movie, another sort of cult classic and. Uh, it, it it's a movie i would say you know where you know how we're wrong though this movie is much more hopeful sorry to bother you is much more hopeful about the about people about humanity yeah. i think that office space and idiocracy silicon valley today any go back as far as beavis and butthead mike judge his worldview is very nihilistic yes, it, it is, is about it is like expect the very worst out of people and even expecting the worst out of them, prepare to be disappointed because they'll be worse than that. Right. And expect the worst from yourself because you're awful too. Yeah. And the characters who are your stand-ins, the heroes of your stories, are even worse. They're terrible. <laughs> like like so my wife made the point the other day, when we, or I guess it was a few months ago, whenever the end of Silicon Valley happened. Which was like, I just don't understand how we're supposed to root for Richard. He's terrible. He's, he's awful. Awful. He's the worst he's person. He's one, one of the worst people in the world. <laughs> and yeah, it's like no redeeming characteristics. <laughs> I think, I think uh, based on what you were just saying there, I think um, Office Space and Idiocracy are kind of where they're at um, when the events of Sorry to Bother You begin. And then there's a hopefulness of people actually coming together and wanting something better, you know, <laughs> that that uh, happens within Sorry to Bother You. Okay, so uh, for my next one, for my next puzzle piece about this movie, um, I'm going to go with uh, with a movie that at the it came out a few years ago and it was um, pretty well received but i feel like it just kind of disappeared or dissipated after that mm-hmm. uh it looked like it was going to be the beginning of sort of a movement in um in, in filmmaking it had um uh, visually it had similar sort of uh stark uh tones to it and um the characters spoke in very similar sort of clipped and, and clipped in uneven ways the dialogue was was very sort of rooted and real while at the same time being a little um a little ethereal like these characters wouldn't be talking this way this is clearly you know raising arizona levels of like of 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 overwritten dialogue but it also sort of hit you hit you uh, in the same way and that movie is um is dope do you remember dope dave yeah absolutely dope was really good so dope 
had um, a lot of the similar sort of interpersonal relationships and a lot of I feel like the a lot of the characters dope happened in LA or Southern California or the Valley I think and um, and uh, sorry to bother you very famously now has uh, what happened in um, uh, takes place in, in Oakland California and uh, other than that huge geographic difference I think you could draw a line between some of the characters in dope and um and say that they're sort of grown up and this is still them in uh, in sorry to bother you sure obviously dope is far more rooted in reality it's it's a it's a drama that there's nothing crazy or insane that happens there aren't any uh, spoiler alerts guys spoiler alerts for, for 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 sorry to bother you but there are no talking horses or like you know <laughs> uh, you know mutants or anything like that in in um in dope but uh do you remember anything about that movie dave and it's so, been a long time yeah no i i haven't seen it in a long time um i i just remember really enjoying it at the time and, and it, it had like a real just like a real cool feel to it um it just it just really uh it felt like very raw and very like um i'm trying to think of the right word for it other than raw and cool but uh very very um a very realistic look at, at like you know that those kind of characters so how about you what's your next one <clears throat> so my next uh puzzle piece would be one that i think uh most genre fans would pick out immediately uh, especially with all of the uh anti-capitalist messages that we um were discussing a little bit earlier um and that is john carpenter's they live um which is i've never seen you know, that i've never seen it e- it's it's a classic like sci-fi horror film um and basically it, it it's i mean these like it's about like these aliens and like they're, they're like the ruling class are basically aliens and they've like coded all these secret messages into the world to get people to continue spending money and breeding and all that kind of stuff and uh i think you know it's very much like one of the great uh sci-fi movies that deals with an issue like like an issue that a lot of people are thinking about, but isn't really represented that much in, in cinema. And that, that being, uh, you know, being, uh, capitalism really, and, and looking at, at the problems with capitalism. And, uh, so I, you know, that seems like something that would at least plant the seed. Cause I'm sure that, uh, Boots Riley would have, you know, grown up with, with, with weird, cool sci-fi movies in his head. I think that's interesting because this is a this is a this is a black movie. The majority, the preponderance of the characters are uh, played are portrayed by black actors, and um, in this movie, which I mean, it's Oakland that stands to reason in, sure. in a lot of parts of Oakland. And um, I think it's interesting that anti-capitalist messaging in the last twenty to twenty-five years doesn't stand up that well in the black community. Um, there are few groups who are more bought into the concept of capitalism and, and sort of uh, material goods than, than um, urban, the urban African-American community. I mean, sure. they are as red-blooded Americans as you, as you can be in their pursuit of, of wealth and their pursuit of, obviously they have huge institutional barriers preventing them from, um, from, from achieving it that their counterparts in, you know, white society don't have, but nonetheless, they um, definitely go after the the carrot at the end of the stick with as much gusto, if not more. Um, that's what almost all modern hip hop had been up up until this like emo movement that happened in the last <laughs> sure. four years. All modern <laughs> hip hop from I would say 1998, advent of Bad Boy, all the way up to 2016 or 2015 was was explicitly materialistic yeah. every single bit of of the culture and the value of, of hip-hop with very rare exceptions for like you know the the conscious hip-hop or the uh head hip-hop or whatever um or like knowledge hip-hop like other than that those small sort of subgroups um it was just it, it's it's very materialistic and i mean that's a that's a critique you can make about america writ large and sure Americans absolutely large. but to see these characters who are, like I said, overwhelmingly, you know, played by African Americans in the cast, kind of come to this larger, sort of more communal idea of what labor can be, of what working can be, of what um, leading, like you know, verdant lives and and lives filled with meaning, 
divorced from the pursuit of material goods what that can be like i thought that was really interesting and and um you know they don't lay it on it's not laid on lightly the anti-capitalist messaging in this movie it's it's not done with nuance it's done brilliantly i think i think it's done very cool in a very cool way but it's it's not it's not done with a with a feather duster it's done with a fucking jackhammer (laughs) yeah right yeah well i i think also it's a uh it's cool to see it coming out of the hip-hop community because it's um it's very much a uh a reaction to all these years of hip-hop being such a materialistic thing and so I, i think i think it's like it's the right um it's it's the right world to use to skewer capitalism i think so my next one is a uh is more specific to the second act um the entire second act of the movie occurs in a party and uh the that party is basically the part that you remember from the movie eyes wide shut and I thought that the entire <laughs> second act uh, party where we meet Army Hammer's character, who is a um, a corrupt billionaire who's uh, perpetrating horrible crimes against humanity in the um, pursuit of more capital, he holds this enormous soiree at his, at his uh, palatial estate. He's fucking hilarious. He's so good <laughs> in this part. He should be this guy. Like, that's who he should be. Um like he's you know what he is is he's the character he's the two characters from a social network when they say the line uh <laughs> with the guy I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but i remember the the character goes uh you think i'm afraid of him i'm six foot four 220 pounds and there's two of me <laughs> <laughs> that's that's who he is in this movie he plays that yeah. character and i love it he plays it so well we immediately meet him just doing the the most insane line of cocaine that's ever been filmed. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. Uh, and um, so this depraved, uh, very decadent, over-the-top, showy party, uh, I, I couldn't help but, re- but think, be reminded of Eyes Wide Shut. Did you ever see Eyes Wide Shut, Dave? Uh, a million years ago, but yes, I did. It's a, uh, it's a it's an interesting movie, that's for sure. <laughs> um, you know what? Before I go on to my next puzzle piece, there's one thing I wanted to kind of double back on because um, I, I forgot to mention it earlier. Uh, and, and that's when we were talking about idiocracy. Um, I think another thing that uh, r- reminds me a lot of idiocracy is the entertainment choices um, that oh, these yeah. people For sure. in the future, um, you know, if you remember Ow My Balls from Idiocracy, right. that seems like it would be right there on the same channel as what was, uh, do you remember what the, the show was they were watching? You got hit like, the motherfucking face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I don't remember the exact Yeah, name, it, it was basically it was, that though. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely people, yeah, was, people were watching some of the dumbest imaginable shit, which is, I think, uh, you know pretty good prediction for, for where things are going um there was great details in this movie man like yeah the uh, the um cassius's car having uh, above the windshield having a uh and like these are things that you only know about if you were poor and if you if you spent like significant parts of your adulthood being like like shit ass broke poor um <laughs> the, the the feeling the anxiety that cassius has of like being on the verge of being kicked out, a car that doesn't work, and not being able to get where he's going, having to like lie to get a job, like all those things that he has to go through. And I thought that it was perfectly distilled in the car that he drives, which is a heap. Um, and it has repo marking on on the top right. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't know what those numbers are unless your car has ever been repossessed. And like <laughs> and you had to go get it back. Like it, you have to know that. And that's such a mindful detail, you know, that right. kind of stuff to like to know, oh, I guess Cassius has had his car repossessed in the in the in the recent past. That makes perfect sense. Like and um it's just detail like that that they really kind of shoved into the movie, uh really helped make it. That's that's uh yeah, no that, that is absolutely uh that's one of the things I really like about the movie is is the attention to detail. Um 
you know, like I said, there's there's things about the movie I didn't love, but there's the things that I do like are just how how many different things they try to get across in every frame. There's so much happening and there's so much uh there's so much thought put into what they're trying to do to build this world and and it really works in in a lot of different ways. Um and that's actually a really good uh setup for my next puzzle piece. Um which this one's uh possibly a bit of a stretch, but uh it, it has to do with the uh like the future and the future being portrayed on film. And I feel like the worry, it's called worry free. Is that right? The place where they, they live and work. Yeah. I feel like if you were to, um, zoom in really far in the blade runner world and actually see how people are living, um, they'd probably, the majority of people are probably living in something resembling worry free. Um, and I think that that kind of mix of dystopian and utopian, although it's not really utopian, it's just people think it is, uh, at the same time, I, I think yeah. that that is a very Blade Runner esque uh, concept. You touch on the con- yeah, you touch on the concept of dystopia, and my next puzzle piece would actually be um, a, dy- a dystopian movie from about eleven years ago. Uh, the Clive Owen vehicle, Children of Men, um, yeah, which yeah. was a much darker version of this movie. And it didn't have as much, obviously, it wasn't as, as whimsical, and it didn't have, um, obviously, the stakes were much, much higher in that movie because the human race was coming to an end. Uh, and uh, we never really find out why. I think that it comes from a, a similar book where um, the source material comes from a book where you actually never find out why it's happening. It's just... Right you know take it this is what the setting of the movie is these are the circumstances and this is what's happening and in, oh, that's in much the same yeah. and in much the same way you know sorry to bother you does that they say they drop you into a world that's not that different than the one that we're in right now and they just basically say hey you know this is uh this this is the the, the world as it is so come to grips with it yeah. what's funny is um <laughs> I think, and you have to double check me on this, Dave, but I think in Children of Men, the 20-year-old kid who is the youngest person alive and but who who's, who's gets assassinated, and that's like a huge upheaval moment in that movie, they say he was born in the year 2018, which is really now. So, yeah, so <laughs> that, uh, I don't know. Well, that's, 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 that's precious. That's often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's uh yeah no but definitely between Children of Men and uh and and Blade Runner I mean definitely paints a pretty bleak future uh and a, and a good starting point for the events of this this movie to go towards and uh I, I think they're also both very um you know uh influential movies so it makes a lot of sense um th- that's actually my last puzzle piece did you have any others I have one more okay. Okay, so you don't have any more. No. You're done. Yep. Okay. So my last puzzle piece is, again, uh, you wouldn't have me on this show if I didn't break the rules every now and then and, and kind of uh, tw- twist up the format. And my next one, my next puzzle piece is actually a TV show. And um, similarly to, if you've been following some of the press coming out of this movie, uh, sorry to bother you, Boots Riley has been making a point of saying that um, uh, foreign uh, I guess theaters, right? Theater companies, foreign theater companies around the world are not picking up this movie, despite it being a critical and a commercial success. It's been successful. It hasn't. It's not like you know a billion dollar movie or anything, but it's doing fine. And yeah. um, the reason he's saying that he's saying that the reason that he's being given is that most um, for foreign film, but most most foreign markets say that they can't sell tickets to movies with only black with mostly black people in them um which i mean i think he's being lied to a lot there i, I think that i mean th- there's got to be some element of that sure but i think that more i would guess that more likely at the core of this at the core of the, that problem is that this movie is supremely nihilistic in a way that i and and sort of galvanizing in a way that I am shocked that people that that 
the people in charge have allowed it to come out. Right. It's right. the kind of movie that you can picture the powers that be not wanting people to actually see. Uh, it is a, a direct action kind of movie. It is a movie that advocates for you. It, it dares you to get up and go do something. And um, about the conditions of the world, about you know the, the uh, political oppression, about y- your own oppression in your country, about uh, it, whatever it is that 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 lights up your you know that 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 lights up your light of 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 direct action in that way there was a tv show that i was shocked was on primetime for i think 10 years that was one of the most nihilistic shows i'd ever seen the overwhelming message behind every episode until maybe the last couple seasons when it got very schmaltzy but the first i would say 6 or 7 seasons was just dark hopelessness meaninglessness why are you allowing your life to be like this your life is just like these people's these people's life is terrible nothing matters the the office the office was a tv show <laughs> that i upon rewatching it recently am shocked that they let it on the air i could not believe that they let that show on the air and i think a lot of people remember the goofy silly funny parts of the office but they don't remember the truly abject horror parts of The Office that were basically telling you that everything you're participating in in the society is a joke and yeah, ridiculous. It's and all an, just a big a, joke. It's everything. An artifice and yeah. a construct. It's all bullshit. <laughs> and, and really showing you, like, I'll never forget, there's a part in The Office where Pam, the you know, the, one of the main characters, Pam, uh, is put in charge of, I guess, office administration. And part of her job is that she has to find ways to cut costs. And one of the things that she cuts is the cleaning crew on certain days. And uh, so the the office becomes trashy and they try to make a game, a chore wheel game out of it. And these people are so, you know, they're just the typical, like, dissociated, unengaged office workers and they're not into a game that's a chore wheel so she has to spice it up with fun things and eventually the game becomes only fun things and they forget to clean up the office (laughs) and they close out the opening scene and it's them like basically cheering and chanting in the conference room and the uh the camera kind of zooms out of the conference room out into like the the office shared area uh, that is just covered in trash and like a rat runs through it. <laughs> it's just like it's such like abject horror and you just <laughs> you realize you're too busy laughing to think about like how horrible it all is and it's and in that way this this movie um sorry to bother you absolutely reminded me of uh of the office that's can't great. believe can't believe that it, upon rewatching The Office, I cannot believe that it was allowed to be on television for so long. <laughs> and yeah. I can't believe that we're so inured, that we're so like, uh, we're so anesthetized that none of us like that us watching it didn't make us get up collectively as as people and say, "What the fuck are we doing? Everything is broken. Everything is bullshit." <laughs> well, start like like taking to the streets and rioting. Maybe in a little small way that has helped lead to the progressive movement of the last couple of years. Yeah, totally. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the uh, finished puzzle. Um, So let me run down the list of all the puzzle pieces we just discussed. And that includes uh, Charlie Kaufman films, uh, which also includes Michelle Gondry and Spike Jones. Also, They Live, Michael Clayton. Uh, Office Space, Idiocracy, Eyes Wide Shut, Dope, Children of Men, Blade Runner, and The Office. Um, So overall, how did you like this movie? I love this movie. And I know that you're going to go in a different direction. um, or More of a down the road, down the middle of the road. It's just... I love the message of the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. I love the novelty of the um, of the execution. I'm not trying to say that this is like a uh, this guy. As far as I know, he's a first time filmmaker. He's not. Yes. I mean, he, he he's not. Um, you can you can clearly tell that what what he lacks in experience, he makes up with uh, sort of having that that unteachable auteur eye, where he knows what it is that he wants to see. 
And, uh, I mean, I think some shots and some... There are some parts that drag. There are some shots that that um, that didn't hit the mark. And then there are also there's also some writing bits that didn't make sense. Uh, the whole thing where the the girlfriend sort of like it, the in, the moments of infidelity that never get revisited <laughs> during sure. the course of the movie. That's yeah. a little weird. But like I, I mean, yeah, sure. If you want to nitpick, you can nitpick this movie. But I thought this was a great movie with a great message and one that people should be paying more attention to. And um, you know, if there's anything that we've seen recently this year, like I said before, with the Wildcat strikes across the country, um, you know you're not allowed to strike, right? I mean, like you specifically can't because you work at your family business. <laughs> it would be a disaster. <laughs> I'd but, get yelled at. <laughs> you get yelled at. But like, like in the overwhelming majority of um, the states in in the union, you uh, you have what's called a right to work, which is basically a right not to collectively bargain, and um, that. That means that if you if if corporations, especially larger corporations, even sniff the idea of a union being passed around, they'll just shut the location down and then open it back up a year later with a completely you know new group of um, new group of workers, and they'll be well within their rights because they've corporations have worked so hard to ensure that these right to work laws are the laws of the land, so. When there's the occasion that that work stoppages can happen, they work. They are absolutely effective. Um, when there's not some legislation preventing them or when it's public sector employees who have maybe a little bit better standing to be able to execute them, um, the uh, you know, like the teachers in West Virginia, the teachers in Kansas, they uh, th- there's nothing more effective, honestly, than, than a strike. A strike will bring the company to its knees. Right. And we see it in this movie and it's, it's a, such a huge part of our, um, of our American history. The reason that we got weekends was through strikes before that weekends didn't exist. They were just two more work days. Yeah. Um, the, the reason that we got overtime, the reason that we got so many of these things for, and yeah, I know that unions are overwhelmingly corrupt, but you know, they're corrupt on such small scales compared to the amount of, of value that's extracted from your hour of labor versus what you actually get paid during that hour. And I, I I love the message of this movie in that respect, because it's not being talked about outside of progressive political circles these days. It hasn't been for, for decades for since, since the Reagan era, this has been a country where it's grind your ass off. And that's like the virtue, yo, I'm on the grind, like grinding yourself into a fucking nub. That's the that's the thing that gets rewarded. I'm on the grind. You know what's yeah. like left after a grind? Just like a fucking shitty, I don't know, a, a jizz stain or something. <laughs> Eric Nice from the grind. Remember him? Kind of. Yo, what's up? Is Eric from the grind? <laughs> so uh, you know, I just I... lost all of our all of our <laughs> listeners under 35. I just lost them. <laughs> Um, I, I, the funny thing, and the reason why it's hard for me to review this movie is because I agree with like everything you were just saying, all, all the positives about this movie, I absolutely agree with. I just kind of wish that Boots Riley had made a couple of features before he made this movie, um, because I just find it hard to ignore how difficult it is for all those solid ideas and um, all the good things, I don't feel like they combine into a movie that really. Do you feel like the movie was works. maybe like half baked? Like, like yes. it was like wasn't yeah. fully realized. It's clearly like a first time filmmaker's film. Um, some of the like the worst parts of it, I, I I've said this before, but I felt like something you would see in like a forty eight hour film or something. You know, yeah. um, just very just like kind of cornyish first time filmmaker thing um things that needed some more uh some more time to to really kind of drive it home um but that being said i i definitely liked the movie um i i did not dislike it i definitely liked it and i appreciate it for the ideas that it's trying to put forward i appreciate it for attempting a lot of uh difficult things to really put in film i mean that it's not a uh, not an easy movie to make especially for a first-time filmmaker 
And so I definitely don't want to come down too hard on it because I definitely did enjoy it. Um, I just didn't love it as much as I know you did and a lot of other uh, critics seem to. Um, I will say that if I if I was disappointed in, in, in anything of the movie that it, I, I think that it didn't deliver on was the um, the 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 trailer promised a, a movie that had a much more that 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 had a much more realized world that was a uh, it, it promised a lot more visual visually interesting and appealing pieces mm-hmm. to it but a lot of that Michelle Gondry stuff they used in the trailer and there wasn't really much like a lot of the practical effects a lot of the um you know I, the thing that caught me with the trailer was the uh the the desk dropping where he would make a phone call where the main character Cassius would make a phone call and drop into the reality or the existence of the family that he's calling or the person that he's calling right right which I found to be really interesting it's such a cool idea and a fun that was a really cool well. idea very Michelle I'm, like, I'm in yeah and I'm 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 down for a whole movie like that yeah. but the five minute trailer was pretty much all of those things yeah, that yeah. were in the movie it, it also that, it was a pretty straightforward set the set design was 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 compelling but it wasn't like genre bending or whatever it wasn't like it wasn't crazy like that there were some interesting pieces interesting parts the you know surrealism the the magical realism and all that but again if you saw the trailer you pretty much saw all those parts right right it also i felt was lacking in the comedy um which it doesn't necessarily need you know it's definitely trying to do bigger things than comedy but the trailer seemed to make it out to be a comedy, and it didn't. I didn't think it was really that funny overall, you know. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's funny you say that because I think one of the best. I think I've. I think that this wasn't a coming out party, but maybe more people now know about Lakeith Stanfield, and that's awesome because he's. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's a national treasure. He's incredible. Yeah. Um. But what I did find funny was that the the part that we, that he's best known for, I think. In Atlanta, is um, Darius, mm-hmm. uh, and you compare Darius that character who he plays, uh, who is the sort of quintessential best friend who gets the occasional bottle episode here and there where he we get to learn more about him um, versus Cassius. Darius is filled with unspoken context every time he walks into the room there are all these stories behind him that trail behind him and everything he says is informed by all this the magic of that character of like the the, you know he is the oldest soul of all of those characters and also he's sort of a also like kind of at the same time a neophyte like a baby living in a world of people who are um you know much less innocent than he is and he has these stories and he has this rich history. He's from Nigeria. He has like this, this whole, like a story about everything and and his actions are everything that he does is sort of like an enigma and he's so deep and crunchy. And yeah, you know, that's, that's the, the, the brilliance of, um, of Donald Glover, right. Who creates that character and brings it to life. And then, and then uh, Lakeith Stanfield acts it out. And then Cassius was very much, sort of like tabula rasa he was just like an empty he was a, he was a stand-in for us right, right he was an everyman he didn't bring a lot of context he had some funny quips and you realize that he's kind of an original thinker but he's mostly just a stand-in leading man in yeah. this in this movie there's nothing that's i mean apart from his salesmanship skills which if you ever take like screenwriting 101 They'll always tell you like your main character always has to be good at their job. Like that's the one thing you have to do to make. It's weird. It's a dumb like old school thing. But your main character has to be good at their job. And in this case, Lakeith Stanfield is, you know, he excels at the job that he's doing. But other than that, he's really just an everyman. And he put in a situation where you're supposed to be able to take yourself, whether you're Puerto Rican, whether you're Jewish, whether you're white, whatever, and put yourself inside of him and be like, huh, what would I do in that situation? And for that, these two, that that shows a difference, right? Because what you're talking about, this first-time writer, this first-time filmmaker, Boots Riley, who definitely does not yet have the breadth of experience that a Donald Glover has. And also, Donald Glover's just goddamn talented as the world. But sure. um, I think that, that play, you see like the same actor, the same incredibly talented actor, play that out differently 
where he's like, okay, I'm not being given much with this character. My job is sort of to react to the world around me. Yeah. And, and sorry to bother you. As opposed to, I say overwhelmingly in Atlanta, people are forced to react to Darius. Right. Darius is the agent that the, the the agent of change in a scene. He's the guy that comes in and shoots a dog. Uh, you know, shoots a, a, a target <laughs> practice picture of a dog and starts a fight because the redneck <laughs> is shooting a black guy. <laughs> so I mean, uh, I thought I thought that that sort of distills what you're talking about a little bit. You know, just a just a quick aside, and then we'll we'll wrap this uh, discussion up. But you just talking about that uh, that screenwriting thing about um, always make sure your main character is good at their job. That actually just made me enjoy my favorite movie of all time adaptation even a little bit more um, because of how bad Charlie Kaufman is at writing. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote Wait, is that where it like came that. from? Is that where I got that from? No, was it, that, that's not was a it line Brian in there. Cox's character who said no, that? The, no, that's okay. not one of his bits of advice. In the although he does say, "And God help you if you use voiceover," you know, during yeah. voiceover. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, not to go down an adaptation hole, but uh-huh. then that's the that's the last moment of um a voiceover oh, yeah. for the rest of the movie, right? The yeah, movie, yeah, the, until the very the, end. No more... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazing so fucking amazing all right well um i will say you know what's funny though how about this adaptation as a um adaptation as a puzzle but one final puzzle piece and here's why adaptation was probably the first meta conscious aware of itself movie to come out um where it knew what it was doing and it, it pulled that mid second act shift where it turned into a different movie and it knew that it was sure and it basically said it out loud how about this? Sorry to bother you. The title is meta and aware of itself. It is exi- it is choosing to bother you because what it's doing is it's trying to break break up your complacency in the you know the life that you lead in the capitalist society that you exist in. It's absolutely not sorry to bother you, and that's the per- that's the hidden meta meaning of the title. I love it. That's that that's that Charlie Kaufman. Uh inspiration right there (laughs) well right on let's uh let's wrap this up q you got any uh plugs you want to do oh no i got nothing nothing Uh, i'm involved in i'm involved in nothing i'm accomplishing nothing (laughs) well listen to bird road where you'll get uh the rest of this conversation uh which bits and pieces may have been cut out of the piecing it together you better fucking not oh i'll kill you (laughs) and if you think i'm if you think i'm I'm going to give you the I have final told, edit. I have I'm going to give you the final edit, and it goes up. You know what? I don't even have to give it to you. I already own the keys to your feed. I can put it up however I fucking want. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Fuck around and find out. Fuck around and find out. Are you addicted to classic TV shows? Did you spend the 80s sitting in front of the boob tube? Then join us for TV Tangents, where we examine television of the 20th century with barely any contemporary context. Visit Shout Engine, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and look for TV Tangents. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Piecing It Together. That was also an episode of Bird Road. You should be listening to Bird Road, too, by the way. Um, But also another thing I probably should have mentioned at the top of the show, but I'll mention it now. If this episode's sounding a little bit different, there's actually multiple reasons for that. Um, First of all, I have a new studio set up. Um, I I moved everything away from my uh, studio room where I compose my music and all that stuff. I moved all my podcasting stuff out to a different room, so I'm still getting it all put together and everything. So far, so good, though. It's, it's going to be a really awesome space for doing these podcasts, making things a little more comfortable. It's not so cramped. I mean, I have a lot of instruments and musical equipment and stuff like that, so... It's uh, it's it's a mess in there, and so trying to navigate doing a podcast in the same room where I do all my music, it, it's a bit much. So now I've got like a separate little podcasting studio, um, but along with that, I also had to have Q do the editing because we had a 
power surge here that fried my, um, luckily just my, my surge protector, not the computer itself. Um, so I, I'm on a laptop and it's the only way I can, uh, finish editing this. Um, but for editing the main conversation, I let Q do it. Plus it was going to be on bird road anyway. So I let him have editing power as you heard. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So between those two things, um, it's, it's going to probably sound a little different this episode, but we'll get back to normal with the uh, next one, and it should sound good, too, today, I'm sure. So, anyway, with that, if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us. We'd love five stars on iTunes. Um, we'd also love some feedback. You can email me directly, bydavidrosen at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us, at PiecingPod, and you can join our Facebook group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group where we have all kinds of conversations about new movies, about upcoming movies, about the shows that we do here on this podcast, um, about the puzzle pieces, and about all that kind of stuff. Um, join the group, and we'd love to talk to you. And with that, I want to remind you guys that my new virtual reality music video, Palindrone 360, is out now, and it's on YouTube, Samsung VR, Veer TV, and Vimeo. And so far, it is doing amazingly. It was actually the featured video of the week last week on Samsung VR and YouTube and Veer, um, which is amazing. Uh, and it's getting so many views and a lot of great feedback. And so we're super excited about that. Um, the album that that song comes from, A Different Kind of Dream, is available now on iTunes. And I got another music video coming next month. We'll talk about that soon. And aside from that, I guess I'll leave you with some music. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to play this time. Maybe I'll play some kind of hip-hop track I've made in the past. I don't know. I'm going to go take a listen to some of my music, and I'm going to insert one right after I finish talking and hit stop. I'm going to hit stop now.
and all points west.